Good afternoon. My name is Frank Reppenhagen, and I'm treasurer of the City Club. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the land that we are on is native land. It was stolen from people that lived here for thousands of years. Here in the Portland region, this land is the territory of the Multnomah, the Kathlamet, the Clackamas, the Tualatin, the Kalapuya, the Molala, the Wasco, the Cowlitz, and many other indigenous people that have known the power and the beauty of the Columbia and the Willamette Rivers. They have lived here, they've raised their families, they've built communities, and they've built traditions that live on. Together, we recognize their unbreakable connections to this land, and we honor the resilience of their ancestors and their hope for future generations. Thank you. Speaking of geography, Portlanders hold a lot of strong feelings about where our city is right now and what it can become in the future. The COVID pandemic and this summer's national reckoning with race and justice offer a turning point, but to where? How can Portland truly become a city of possibility? Joining us today to imagine new possibilities for Portland is Mayor Ted Wheeler. Mayor Wheeler was reelected in November to his second term. Before becoming mayor, he served as the Oregon State Treasurer from 2010 to 2016, and as Multnomah County Chair from 2007 until 2010. We're first going to watch a short video from Mayor Wheeler's office, and then we'll be joined by Eric Ward, the Executive Director of the Western States Center. Mr. Ward is a nationally recognized expert on the relationship between authoritarian movements, hate violence, and preserving inclusive democracy. He's a senior fellow with the Southern Poverty Law Center and Race Forward, with more than 30 years of leadership in community organizing and philanthropy. Before we begin today's conversation, I need to thank a few people who've made this program possible. Thank you to Chevron, The Standard, and Wells Fargo for sponsoring our winter events. I'd also like to thank our supporting sponsors, Kaiser Permanente, Tonkin Torp, and our partners at Pamplin Media, X-Ray FM, and Merge Design. If you're ever unable to watch one of our forums, you can always listen in via X-ray stations, including 91.1 FM and 107.1 FM. Thank you also to Bobby Regan for once again putting on an excellent program. Everyone at City Club appreciates the work that you're doing, Bobby. Finally, I want to remind you all that you can ask questions at any time during today's conversation. Just email us at questions at pdxcityclub.org or tweet at PDX City Club using the hashtag State of the Possible. Now it is my pleasure to welcome Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler. City Club asked me to talk about the future. The future from my perspective starts today. And the truth is we're facing serious challenges. Nonetheless, I believe 2021 will be a year of recovery. I've talked with lots of Portlanders in addition to keeping ourselves and our loved ones safe from COVID, most of us are thinking about three priorities, homelessness, public safety, and livability. Addressing these three things is key to Portland's future. First, homelessness. The solution to homelessness ultimately is housing. Everyone deserves a safe, affordable place to call home. Bond measures referred by the city and Metro are creating thousands of affordable homes. Each year, we hope thousands of people find housing, nearly 6,000 people from 2018 to 2019 alone. We need to get people off the streets as quickly and humanely as possible. Villages are a proven model, 
We opened the C3PO in Kenton Women's Villages last year. Both offer safe alternatives to street camping. We'll soon open St. John's Village too. Next, public safety. Everyone in Portland should feel safe. That's why my colleagues and I are looking holistically at the system of public safety services the city offers. That includes a transparently accountable police agency with a clear mission and a healthy culture, along with well-funded safety programs that go well beyond law enforcement. Last June, I announced my 19-point police reform action plan. 11 actions are already done, and the others are well underway. Here's a few examples. My colleagues and I redirected millions of dollars from the police budget to community-based organizations for community services. We took steps to demilitarize bureau equipment, and we moved police off of TriMet and out of schools. We increased investments in equity and diversity in the police bureau and all across the city. And we've given the community more power to shape the future of public safety in Portland. We're also making good progress on the voter-approved police accountability measure, Portland Street Response, and negotiations for a new police union contract that increases community trust. We're also responding to a gun violence epidemic that is disproportionately harming communities of color. Our Office of Violence Prevention is collaborating with Faith and other community leaders and expanding its capacity to both prevent and treat the causes of gun violence and the trauma that it creates. We've increased the number of police officers available to investigate shootings. We're adding more outreach workers to help families who are at risk of or victims of gun violence. We need to use all of our tools and create some new ones to end the cycles of violence on our streets. Finally, we continue to fight ongoing criminal vandalism and the self-described anarchists whose goals are eroding our economy's foundation of local, small businesses and healthy, vibrant neighborhood main streets and pulling police resources from other critical needs like gun violence. We're working with partners to identify and hold people responsible for their crimes. We're putting more officers on the street and we're adapting our tactics to ensure early planning and cleanup for affected neighborhoods and small businesses. We also set aside hundreds of thousands of dollars to help damaged businesses pay for immediate repairs. We need your help too. If you see or hear something, say something. My third priority is livability. Our city is way overdue for a deep clean. I'm sure you agree. Public health guidelines created a pause on important cleanups. As we learn more about the virus, we're ramping up our cleaning work again. Despite the mandated pause, the city picked up more litter in 2020 than ever before. In 2019, we collected almost 2,000 tons of litter from our streets. We picked up 50% more last year, about 3,000 tons. And this January alone, we collected more than 800,000 pounds of litter, and we're gonna do more. This problem is solvable, and we're gearing up to get it done. I hope you'll join us over the next handful of months as we safely gather to give our community the spring cleaning it deserves. We've been through a hard year, and I'm enormously proud of the many ways Portlanders came together to keep each other safe 
call for justice and defend what makes Portland so special, all during a pandemic that threatened nearly everyone and everything we value. There's so much more I could share with you, but we need to keep moving. So now I wanna introduce you to several well-informed members of our community, some you'll probably recognize, to hear their take on the state of the city and our priorities. We begin with a conversation about livability, economic recovery, and resiliency. You'll hear from John Taponia, the president of Echo Northwest, a consulting firm specializing in economic analysis, finance, and planning. You'll also hear from Leslie Carlson, a founder of Brink Communications and the incoming chair of Business for a Better Portland. Where the economy stands today, uh, first and foremost, the pandemic has taken a direct hit on any part of the economy that relies on people getting close together in restaurants and bars and theaters, sporting events and venues, etc. Beyond that, an awful lot of the rest of the economy has sort of figured out some way to keep going. I mean, we've had sort of surprisingly strong uh, resilience uh, in the construction sector. They've, they've kept moving on the projects that they have and, and have figured out on their sites how to, how to remain socially distanced. It's just been a hard, hard lesson. And I think those of us in the business community, as well as all citizens of Portland, have really um, had to absorb the lesson and now we can start to look forward. If we have to deal with this bigger challenge next time, it would be great to think about what do we need to do to make each sector resilient? Like each small business is, belongs to a sector and that sector is different from one another. So I think thinking not of homogenous small business, but what, what kinds of impacts are gonna, this kind of crisis has on each sector. With respect to uh, sort of the civil unrest that we've had over the course of the year, that, I think, is a piece that we're still trying to unscramble. I mean, clearly, uh, Portland's downtown uh, has been affected in ways that other downtowns haven't been, uh, just because of the length and dur duration of that. When we start to look at data like uh, office vacancies or even retail vacancies, et cetera, across cities, and we're just starting to do that, you, you still don't see the you know, big signs that Portland is a whole lot different in its downtown than other downtowns. The big question will be, how do we begin to recover as the pandemic relents? Do we have enough policy in place uh, and momentum to get people back downtown, uh, given the work that we have to do to sort of make it look and feel like a safe place to be? I hope we do bounce back, and I think the possibility and potential is there. But what I'm really banking on is that we don't return to business as usual, that we don't try to build an economy uh, like we had before, because that economy left far too many people out. It was not inclusive. And I've really realized during this pandemic more than ever before that as a small business, I depend on the health of my community. Our healthcare system wasn't ready for a pandemic. And I think that we really need to think as business leaders how we can help support systems change, not incremental change around the edges, but new ways of doing things. What innovations and ideas can we bring to the table that'll really help us thrive, all of us thrive in the future? You know, an economy is built on four forms of capital, uh, on a foundation of four forms of capital. Human capital, it's people, natural capital, all the amenities, physical capital, which is the infrastructure, uh, and social capital, which is uh, how the humans interact with one another. Our social capital actually has shown up 
quite well, I think, in this pandemic and, and is probably stronger having moved through this experience together. And so, you know, I look at that capital and I, I think it's strong and it's, and it's solid and resilient. And I think we're going to talk about how we build systems that keep us more resilient, both our economy and just people in general. I would hope that would be something I'd see in 10 years. I think also exciting uh, to think about sort of Portland's big three uh, development opportunities that are sitting out there that are all teed up and that are going to take a couple of decades to build out. The Broadway Corridor, the Albina Vision, and OMSI sort of all sketched out at this point, all with visions. But 20 years from now, uh, those are going to be vibrant, interesting places that are that are new to the landscape and are close in, are really going to sort of add to the add to the amenity, the built uh, amenity value of the of the city. I think that this is an opportunity. This pandemic, economic disruption, calls for racial justice are our opportunity to relook at ourselves and really try to meet the goals we set for ourselves. Yes, we've been through a tough time. We've taken a hit, but Mount Hood is still out the window. The streets and blocks are still short and narrow. It's still a, a you know a walkable downtown, and we still have a lot of great neighborhoods. The foundation is still there. We didn't lose it all in the last year, despite all the all the things that were thrown at us. As I mentioned earlier. Addressing homelessness is another of my administration's urgent priorities. Next, you'll hear from Chris Aosa, the executive director of Do Good Multnomah, a service provider that works with the city to connect homeless veterans to shelter, housing, and services. You'll also hear from Jeff Riddle, who transitioned out of homelessness through a similar provider, Transition Projects, Inc., an organization he's now been working for for the last 10 years. When I started this work, uh, I started with a vision to end homelessness. And here we are 10 years later from when I experienced my hardest homelessness and it looks as it may have gotten worse. It became a public health issue when we have literally houseless individuals living on the streets that were susceptible and, and quite frankly, highly vulnerable to, to receiving and spreading the, the COVID-19 uh, virus. So uh, we operate a year-round congregate shelter that serves 100 male-identifying individuals. And when COVID hit, there were new guidelines uh, to make sure that they were spaced appropriately. So we found very quickly that we were unable to serve that same number and it diminished, you know, almost you know, 40%. And the city actually answered that rather quickly with the opportunity to host alternative shelters in this motel uh, sheltering model, um, which we host three now. All of them have been extremely uh, successful, um, but there were those early challenges. To be able to work with the City of Portland and the Joint Office to figure out, um, you know, the, the problem areas, the issues, uh, and then to come up with the best solutions. And I think the motel shelter model was an absolute home run hit out of the park. For me to say that the city could do more, I, I'm eternally grateful for what the city is already doing. And there could always be more. There could always be more. 
I'm not interested in putting bubblegum on a dam. I'm not interested in just solving the problem today. I'm interested in innovative solutions that will solve the problem tomorrow, next year, 10 years down the road. And I do believe that there's going to be a lot of positive changes um, due to COVID. There are a lot of lessons learned um, and we're not interested in going back to the old model. We're interested in innovating and moving forward uh, and, and shelter, transitional housing and permanent supportive housing is no different. You know, how we operate in COVID, I think is going to be very similar to how we operate in the future. I also see more people moving into housing because I see buildings being put up. I see things happening. And I know that the turtle won the race, not the rabbit. And when I say that meaning, it's not gonna be a fast process and we need to be patient while we get there. I think the city's done a great job in my opinion. And when I say that only because when severe weather happened, we had the convention center open up, which is great. And there were so many people that jumped on board uh, to provide those, those uh, beds for people. Seeing them jump into action, especially during severe weather for me, just makes my heart feel really warm because that's when I started my journey with them was during those times, those severe weather times. 2011, it was a pretty bad snowstorm in winter. I was out then. I remember sleeping under uh, a pine tree that had no snow underneath it and in doorways and cars if someone would let me um, and that was kind of the wake-up call i believe that the, the city had a a responsibility to say let's shelter the most vulnerable folks in our city if every single individual neighborhood looked at this as a neighborhood issue and not nope that's the other side of the river's issue we could actually work together and solve this i love the neighborhoods that uh, that are are supporting the smaller projects like St. John's Village, like Kenton's Women's Village. I applaud them and I, I think that there's a lot more neighborhoods that, that could stand up and say, what, what does it take? What, what can we do? How can we support this? Be kind. I think that's the biggest, just be kind to one another. We never know what someone else is going through uh, and looks can be completely deceiving. So be kind to one another. The spike in gun violence and sporadic anarchist-inspired criminal destruction and vandalism has raised the stakes around community safety and public safety. Next, thoughts and perspectives on that from Ed Williams, the executive pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church and Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle. I've been in circles where there's been a lot of conversations about community safety. And uh, I've heard the some of the ideas being batted around like uh, um, back to the old days of community police policing. Um, and there's a place for that. And I think it has a lot of a lot of value. Um, but how long it's going to take for that to uh, become a reality is a whole different thing. There's a lot of lip service, you know, to the fact that, yes, we're going to do this, but um, we're tired of lip service. We want to see want to see real action. And so that's what I would say to the mayor and to city council, among other things. And I think this last year has really shown uh, the importance of trust and relationship in the work that we do. Um, we have this, uh, you know, pact 
with the community where they give us a lot of authority and in return we have to give them trust and humanity and uh, when those things get out of balance we see kind of what the outcomes could be. So the George Floyd killing and the things associated with that I feel have just been kind of put off to the side uh, because they've been again hijacked by two now maybe three things. I mean hijacked number one by the uh, the push to defund the police. Number two has been hijacked by the late night uh, protests and destruction that's going on. And then now number three, and I won't call it hijacked, but now right in the in, in the in the jet wash, if you will, of the jet of the George Floyd killing is now the the uptick in the gun violence that is just, you know, tearing our city apart. I don't think there's there's more important work going on in the city right now than doing whatever we can to prevent people from getting shot and killed. And if we look at the demographics um, of the people who are victims of gun violence, we see that um, you know black people in particular are, uh, are overrepresented. It's a public health issue. So what do we do with public health issues? We analyze the problem, um, um, we research the problem, and then we begin to put uh, practices and policies and, and money in place to make sure that we now deal with the problem. We don't let it continue to just fester on its own. This problem is not going to go away, not on its own, not unless we get in and we interrupt what's going on um, right now. I think the next year, I think, is really going to be about defining uh, what community safety in Portland is going to be. I think collaboration is the word that comes to mind right off the top of my head. Um, we have a, a community safety system that consists of police, fire, uh, BOIC, Bureau of Emergency, Emergency Communications, 911, and uh, emergency management. So um, with those uh, bureaus underneath the community safety umbrella, how are we going to collaborate? How are we going to work together, find synergies that'll make the, uh, the entire community safety system in Portland better? And so if we, if we don't change how we are addressing uh, public safety um, and our approach to uh, remedying the, the, the distrust or the mistrust or the divide that exists between the police and black and brown communities, we're not gonna make any, any progress. If we wanna talk about you know, like Black Lives Matter, if, if you don't address the, 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 the virus or the pain or the injury or the hurt that is affecting me, you're really telling me that my life doesn't, my life doesn't matter. You know, that the, the community has a strong voice. We can't discount the fact that we've seen, you know, thousands of people take to the street with a really strong but peaceful message for racial justice. And, you know, that's a really powerful voice. And it's something that, you know, unfortunately doesn't always get the attention as some of the other smaller um, activities that are more violent that get maybe some more press. But I think uh, really want to highlight and, and not take away from those people who are really committed to fighting for, for racial justice and improvements in our systems, especially for, for black and brown people. I would hope that as a part of what we're doing that we will, that we will look to train our officers uh, in a way in which they can, in a way in which they are more educated on how to deal with black and brown communities. Um, we have an opportunity um, to do something different. Now, whether or not we're going to take advantage of that, uh, I don't know. I think it's only possible to get there in the future if we deal with what's right in front of us. See, you can't talk to me about what it's going to be like in 10 years 
if we don't deal with the next 10 days, if we don't deal with the next 10 weeks or the next 10 months. And I, I'm really hopeful for the future. Um, I, I feel like right now is a challenging and tough time, but uh, this is not going to last forever. This is a great city. Uh, we've got great people who work here um, citywide who are doing really good things and making a positive impact. And I think we'll be back to being, you know, the city that people remember from uh, not too long past. Finally, our city's history continues to play a major role in all we're experiencing today and in what our future will bring. We reached out to Kerry Timchuk, the executive director of the Oregon Historical Society, for his perspective on how the past brought us to where we are today and how it may influence our future. As I look back at this last year, uh, I'm reminded of the famed radio announcer Paul Harvey, who once said, in times like these, it's always good to remember there's always been times like these. But I think he's wrong. I don't know if there's ever been times like these in Portland history. I hope that we look back at this moment and say, here's where we started to talk to each other again, uh, and started not talk over each other or talk around each other, but to talk to each other again. Here at the Historical Society, we're, uh, you know, we're observers of the past. We report to history. Our job is not to take sides, but we do take sides when it comes to racism, when it comes to uh, the, the hatred. Uh, we're against it. When we report about what happened in the past, uh, we, when we tell the history, ugly history of, of racism against blacks, against the indigenous people, against Asian Americans, uh, our job is to, to make it sure it doesn't happen again. And that's everyone's responsibility. You're not responsible for what happened 150 years ago, or 100 years ago, or 50 years ago. But you are responsible for knowing what happened then, and for understanding, and seeing how that even impacts our history today. As we look back at, at this moment in time, I hope here in Portland and throughout Oregon that uh, people's understanding of our shared history will help in the present, and in the future, uh, build a more just, a more equitable, a more fair society. And I hope we also look back at this moment and say that here was a time where we again needed the values of civility and decency, uh, values that have been lost across the country, in Washington, D.C., certainly, and, and also here in Oregon as well. That debate is American and dissension is American and protests are American, but violence and vandalism and you know, incivility and indecency does not help build a better society. Mark Hatfield, certainly I think the gold standard for public servants here in Oregon. I look back at what Senator Hatfield said. He once said that all of us need each other. All of us must help each other rise. All of us must rise together. And, and that's what I hope will be the future in 20 years from now, that we all rose together. We made it through this moment. Nevertheless, everybody persevered. And Portland is the, is the community we all want it to be. My name is Eric Ward, as you know, but I wanted those listening and watching to, to know as well. Thank you for sitting with me today. Thank you, Eric. It's such a pleasure. There's so much for us to talk about, and I know we have a limited time and a very engaged audience. But before we start, I, I understand that you have a couple of announcements that you would like to make first, and we'd love to hear those. 
Thank you, Eric. And first of all, uh, Eric, I just want to thank the folks we just saw in the video. There's no question in my mind that Portland's a better place for uh, all of you folks who contributed living here. So thank you for that. And I also just want to say this. I believe that Portland has a very bright future if we work together, if we all pitch in to make that future bright. With the arrival of spring, I'm starting to see the green shoots of progress and recovery. It starts, in my mind, with the most diverse city council in the history of this city. And I want to thank my colleagues for their commitment to making Portland a stronger, more just, and a better city than it was before. With this new phase of the pandemic, Portlanders are ready to roll up their sleeves and clean up and open up the city. The current state of the city is we're doggedly determined to recover. Our community has what it takes to move forward towards a much greater future. I'm optimistic and I'm determined to get out uh, and roll up my sleeves and help all of you secure that better future, starting by addressing the key challenges of today, homelessness, community safety, and livability. First, with regard to homeless, soon we're going to invest tens of millions of dollars from the Here Together ballot measure on proven programs that will address the chronic homeless population in our community. I'm gonna fight hard to ensure that the investments change what we see on our streets. We all know this, too many people are forced to sleep outside. Second, ballot measure 110. It's time to address addiction with treatment, not just incarceration. Substance abuse, as we all know, is closely linked with homelessness. The state must fully fund, now, the Drug Addiction Treatment Recovery Fund established by ballot measure 110. Any delay is unacceptable. And I'll fight to ensure state oversight, that the State Oversight Council gives Portland providers their fair share to match the need in the city of Portland. The city is gonna to continue to work with our partners at Multnomah County to find new and better shelter op options. Commissioner Dan Ryan and I will push forward the best proposals from our recent RFP for alternative shelters. We will fight for more villages, safe camping sites, and more services to those who desperately need our help to get off the streets. The goal here, after all, is to help people get off the streets as quickly and as humanely as possible. With regard to community safety, as you heard from the videos, we're facing two very concerning trends. The escalation in gun violence and homicides and criminal destruction. Yesterday, I supported community leaders as they proposed specific investments to stop gun violence in Portland, including community-based interventions and more police resources with strong community oversight. I'm going to ask the City Council to fund and implement these proposals as quickly as possible. The ongoing criminal vandalism must stop. It holds small businesses hostage behind plywood. The Jade District, Montevilla, the Hollywood area, Hawthorne, the Pearl. This affects not just downtown, but it impacts all of us in this community. We're fighting criminal destruction 
intimidation, and violence in partnership with reinvigorated partnerships involving our local, state, and our federal partners. Soon, we will announce new community-based crime prevention efforts across the city's business districts. And we're working very tirelessly on community safety reform by implementing the voter-approved police accountability measure, negotiating a new contract with the Portland Police Union, and giving people more say in policing in our community through the Portland Committee on Community-Engaged Policing and other measures too. With regard to livability, Portland needs a deep clean. The pandemic paused important cleanups to keep workers safe, but today we're ramping up our efforts. Today, I'm excited to announce the launch of the green, the city's clean and green citywide cleanup initiative led by former mayor, Sam Adams. Portlanders want to help and they can do so through our public-private partnerships with SOLVE. If you want to help power Portland's cleanup, sign up to volunteer at solve.org. I want to give a shout out and a special thanks to Tim Boyle, the CEO of Columbia Sportswear, for donating $100,000 to help launch our Clean and Green initiative. Thank you, Tim. And it's my hope, and I know it's your hope too, that others will step up to join you. We're pulling together and coordinating all city bureaus and local agencies, including Metro, the Port of Portland, and ODOT to address our litter problem. Adopt a block and solve citywide cleanup activities are starting right now. Portland is likely to receive about $200 million from the American Rescue Plan that was just recently approved by Congress. We'll focus on directly supporting Portlanders and our great locally owned businesses that employ so many of us. And to stand with our local small businesses, I'm pleased to share that the city filed an amicus brief this week in the local fight against arbitrary insurance cancellations and rate increases. Government can do a lot. And the reality is we can do even more with direct help from all of you. Some of the best things about Portland, in my opinion, were built by public, private, nonprofit, and community-based partnerships. So I'm proud to announce today that my administration is leaning into our city's strengths and convening Portlanders to work together through five action tables. First, the safety and compassion action table to help everyone in our community feel safe. Second, the clean and green action table to help give our city the deep clean that it desperately needs. Third, the community events action table to help bring people back together when it's safe to do so. Fourth, the business reopening and success action table to create and implement programs and policies to bring our businesses back better than they were before. And finally, fifth, the reputation recovery and branding action table to help restore Portland's reputation and brand across the state, the nation, and even the world. To join one of these action tables, go online and type portlandoregon.gov 
slash Wheeler slash newsletter. That's portlandoregon.gov slash Wheeler slash newsletter. Put that into your web browser and we'll send you more information about how to sign up and how to help. I also want to extend a special invitation to Portlanders who haven't felt heard in the past. These action tables will absolutely be built on a foundation of equity, diversity, and inclusion. In closing, we're a city of strong, determined, and creative people. We have both the opportunity and the responsibility to build a brighter future for all Portlanders. To get there, my administration will remain focused on homelessness, community safety, and livability, and on partnering with you, the people of this incredible community. Together, we will create the state of the possible. Thank you. Mayor Wheeler, thank you. And we are going to take a short break and we will be back to dive into the questions and talk about the vision of the next months uh, and where Portland will be in 10 years. This is Eric Ward of Western State Center and I am in conversation with Mayor Wheeler of Portland, Oregon. This is the state of the city and Mayor Wheeler, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the announcement. Your opening remarks were incredibly helpful. Here we are sitting uh, in the first true sunny day of, uh, of, of approaching spring. It has been a long year for Portland, Oregon. It has been a long year uh, for the world, but it's also been a defining one. Of course, we can talk and we will about the political and racist violence that has occurred, the devastating impact of COVID-19 and the ever-present issue of affordability and accessible housing. But today we've had a chance to, to hear the vision of a future Portland that is grounded upon the path of livability, of addressing uh, public safety, and of course, solving the crisis of access to affordable housing in our community. Let's dig into the weeds, but before we get into the weeds, I'd like to ask a question. What do you believe are the two or three essential values that are critical to jump-starting this vision in the coming weeks and months? How will the city council engage one another in lifting up these, these values? and sharing and igniting Portland's passion to live out those values as we begin to find our way out of a long winter, a long quarantine, and a vision of rebuilding the city of Portland? Well, that, that's a very provocative question, Eric, and thank you for asking it. Uh, I would say the core ingredients in order to get through the current state of crisis, whether we're talking about the pandemic or the humanitarian crisis unfolding on the streets in the form of homelessness or some of the uh, violence that we've seen on our streets, uh, the, the gun violence that you referenced, the increase in homicides, to get through all of these things are gonna require a couple of critical ingredients. First and foremost, I think it requires optimism. I think uh, our community has been steeped in the problems of the last year and people are fatigued in terms of the problems that they're confronting on a daily basis. And what I hear from my constituents every day 
is that people want to lean in, they want to be engaged, they want to support Portland, they want Portland to become the resilient, creative, exciting city that they know it can be. And they're tired of people articulating the problem and not really showing optimism for the future. That's the first thing. And I am very optimistic about the future of this city. The second is direct community engagement. If we've learned one thing over the past year, it's that Portlanders are extremely passionate. They care deeply about their city and the values behind their city, and they want to personally pull up their sleeves and get engaged. And that's sort of the foundation of the action tables, as well as our efforts around community livability to encourage people to work with us and participate with us and come together as a community in exciting ways. And the third value that uh, is one of the positive outcomes of the last year, I believe, is that equity and diversity and inclusion, uh, that is now front and center. And if there was any silver lining to the horrific murder of George Floyd, it's that he's done our society a tremendous favor by elevating equity, diversity, and inclusion as a core ingredient of anything we do as a community. And as you well know, Eric, uh, and as Kerry Timchuk said in his video, uh, we're not responsible for the past, but we have to know the past. We have to know the past, acknowledge the past, learn from the past in order to be able to move together into the future. And so those, those I would say, are the, the three key ingredients, optimism, active engagement, uh, and acknowledging that we have not been as inclusive of everybody in this community and their needs as we need to be going forward. It's interesting. I know much of the last five years has, has been defined along ideological bounds. And when we position ourselves that way, we, we often lose a sense of the values. And I think a little bit of uh, George Floyd, I can't help but to think of him uh, a, a year later, nearly. And I think of his young daughter. I, I saw a video of, of his young daughter a few months ago. She was on the shoulders of, of maybe a family friend or family member. And she was in the midst of a march in, in Minnesota. And uh, I heard her say, looking around at, at folks marching with signs, chanting, I, I heard his young daughter say, uh, my daddy changed the world. And I think of her often, this, this young girl who never gets her father back, right? Her father never gets to teach her how to drive, how to play sports. She, she is, he is gone forever. But I do think, you know, it wasn't his responsibility, but he did raise an issue. Those who responded to the unarmed killing of George Floyd have said that it is time to approach, to approach equity. I want to ask a question here. There is a divide around law enforcement. A recent study just came out. Uh, in February that said Portland has the fifth worst arrest disparities in the nation, according to compiled data. This is at a time when gun violence is at an all-time high. How does Portland begin to bridge that divide? And I want to provide a provocative example. Should Portland, Oregon follow the steps of Camden, New Jersey, which in 2012 dissolved the entire police department? and rebuilt the department from the ground up. Seven years after that, by 2019, Camden crime rates had dropped by half. Law enforcement and community leaders had re-engaged in really substantial ways. 
How do we untwine the perception that law enforcement is more committed to an ideology than its mission to protect and serve? And that's in many of the questions that have been coming up today. Yeah, it's an incredibly important question, Eric. And what's notable about Camden is their city effectively went bankrupt. And so they were forced into this position to really reevaluate from the ground up what community safety looks like. And as I think about the steps that our city council has already taken in the path going forward, it, it boils down to this. Um, first of all, let me acknowledge there are many fine men and women working in the Portland Police Bureau who take the job very seriously and they, they work under very difficult circumstances. That said, institutionally, policing is one of the most entrenched bureaucracies I've ever confronted in my years in the government sector. It is very resistant to change. And it all too often takes the call for change personally as an attack on the institution or as an attack on the way things are, or worse yet, the people who are involved in the institution. And that's not the case at all. When I talk to particularly younger officers, but not exclusively younger officers, they wanna be part of the change. They want the Portland Police Bureau to be held up as a shining example of community safety done correctly. And that requires not just the police bureau to act, but those of us on the city council to do so too. And I've believed we've, we've done it in, in important ways. Uh, early in my administration, I stood up a community oversight council, the Portland Committee on Community Engaged Policing, which is very independent and has uh, its own ability to uh, look at things. The voters of this city just overwhelmingly passed a ballot measure that we on the city council referred around oversight and accountability. Uh, the city council has been responsive to community demands to increase investments in the community that would reduce the need for police officers in the first place. And that can, you know, we, we can talk about Portland, the Portland street response uh, and other initiatives there, the formation uh, in my first year as mayor of the, the public safety support specialists, which are unarmed uh, employees of the Portland Police Bureau who can go out and work with the community to resolve conflicts that, that don't require an armed trained officer to show up and other steps that we've taken. But ultimately what it's going to require is the police bureau and all of us in the city to frankly acknowledged that there have been uh, institutionally racist activities in the Portland Police Bureau in the past. The Bureau has been very slow to acknowledge or to even apologize for some of those past activities. Uh, and doing that, I think, is a necessary first step uh, to changing things. If we don't acknowledge that the disparities exist, if we don't acknowledge that prior to, to when a lot of the people in our police borough even got here, a lot of things happened that the community still remembers that still uh, impacts their ability to fully trust the police borough. If we don't have that frank and uncomfortable and difficult conversation, and if the Portland Police Bureau isn't actively engaged in helping to lead that conversation, then we're not gonna get very far. So my work going forward as the police commissioner and the mayor is going to be to facilitate and lead some of those difficult conversations. And that in part is why we created our first action table around community safety.
and I want to be clear, I, I'm not using the words public safety, I'm saying community safety, because community safety goes beyond policing. When, when you know, by the time you've called out a police officer because somebody uh, is uh, experiencing a crisis on the street, that may already show a failure of our public health system or our housing system or our mental health system. We need to rebuild those upstream services as well as looking locally at the way we police the community. The police are being called on to do too many things that other safety net mechanisms should be dealing with first. And so I think all of us on the city council are eager to help lead that conversation up and down the service spectrum. Mayor Wheeler, I wanted to take a second just to remind folks that um, it's not too late to ask a question. You can tweet at the City Club using the hashtag State of the Possible. Again, hashtag State of the Possible. Or you can email questions to questions at pdxcityclub.org. Again, questions at pdxcityclub.org. Mayor Wheeler, let's stay on this just for a second but before we take a quick break. And this is a question from an audience member um, who says Multnomah DA, District Attorney Mike Schmidt, was overwhelmingly elected by the voters after pledging to reform the criminal justice system. This person is curious to know, over the next 30 days, do you have any specific plans to try to reset the table bringing together folks like Mike Schmidt, community members, staff from your office and others to begin to kickstart the conversation that needs to happen. Um, and they wanna know in that conversation, are you willing to work closely with Mike Schmidt and other local reformers, even as allegations of police uh, misconduct uh, continue to rise up uh, as a tension point? in reforming community safety. Your thoughts? Yes, uh, and that, that's a great question and I wanna to get to it, but I have to correct something. Uh, apparently the URL I gave people earlier to sign up for the action tables wasn't quite right. Um, one of the perils of modern technology, apparently it's portland.gov slash wheeler slash newsletter. There's no Oregon in it, it's just Portland. So sorry about that for folks who are getting the error message and thank you for trying to sign up, we appreciate it. Uh, Eric, uh, I appreciate the questioner's uh, question about whether or not we are collaborating, the, 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 you know, the, the city council with the county commission, um, the police bureau with the district attorney, uh, with the county sheriff, the state police, and our federal partners? The answer is unequivocally yes. I speak to the district attorney, Mike Schmidt, on a regular basis. We share thoughts and we share ideas. Uh, we do collaborate all up and down the public safety system in order to, to try to get our hands around how we can most effectively work as a system. Uh, because it's complicated. The, the police bureau is responsible for arrests. The district attorney is responsible for prosecutions. Uh, the county sheriff owns and operates the jails. Uh, and of course, our, our federal partners are, are important players in all of this as well. So we do convene on a regular basis. Uh, we share both opportunities as well as problems that we're confronting. 
And uh, I believe that that the collaboration has really improved just in recent months. I've, I've seen the improvement in terms of the Portland Police Bureau providing uh, better facts and information to the district attorney so that he can make successful prosecutions of those who are uh, the most egregious actors around violence or criminal destruction. He's announced a number of high profile prosecutions recently. And uh, in fact, just two weeks ago, one of the individuals who was engaged in a, a, a fairly notorious act of criminal destruction received three years of probation and restitution of $46,000. So we're starting to see that people who are engaged in these kinds of really egregious activities are in fact being held accountable. And part of that is because we are collaborating better amongst our jurisdictional partners. Uh, this is Eric Ward from Western State Center with Mayor Wheeler. Mayor Wheeler, um, much of Portland, uh, like much of the world, has been uh, deeply impacted uh, by COVID-19. Perhaps the economic impact wasn't as significant as the impact on the culture of Portland. Portland is, at least when it's not raining, and sometimes when it is, is an outside culture. That is where we interact in public spaces. We've been taken away from that. As we begin to come out of the out of the COVID uh, quarantine, how do we ensure that Portlanders are able to find one another, to reestablish connections, and to build Portland's culture in a way that moves forward the vision? How are you thinking about that as mayor? How are council members talking about that as well right now? Oh, that's a big question, but it's a really good one, Eric. Um, so first of all, the pandemic and the resulting economic shutdown has really challenged the community to be far more innovative and creative than we might have been in the absence of the pandemic. And as just you know, an obvious example of that, the city making a decision to close down certain streets and turn them into festival streets where restaurants could set up tables and umbrellas, uh, and over the course of the winter set up tents. That's moved a lot of people into sort of an outdoor environment. The decision of the city to uh, change our uh, sidewalk seating requirements on the fly to be able to make that space available for people in a, in a uh, socially distanced, responsible way to respond to the COVID restrictions. Uh, it, it's, it's been difficult. It's been really hard for our local small businesses to adapt. But on the other hand, what I've also concluded is those spaces aren't going to go away. Portlanders actually liked being outside and enjoying those outside spaces and plazas. And so on the city council, what we're talking about is how do we reshape the city, acknowledging a couple of trends. Number one, people want more open space. They want more gathering spaces. They want more public plazas. They want to see more restaurants having outside activities, especially as we start pushing into the better weather. And then the second part regarding the built environment has to be the acknowledgement that now that we're all meeting like this, uh, virtually, even with all of its little quirks and glitches, uh, it's actually very convenient for people to not have to drive down to City Hall or not have to go somewhere for an in-person meeting. This is actually a great way to include a lot of people who previously maybe couldn't be included because they lived far away or their work hours were challenging or 
they they just uh, didn't have the physical ability to be in City Hall. I don't think we're going back exactly the way we were. So all of these buildings, for example, that are surrounding City Hall that are office buildings, they'll be utilized, but they may be utilized very differently than the way they are today. And so we're talking about some of the zoning changes that might be required. Uh, speaking of some of the problems that have been created around the pandemic, obviously the homeless crisis has gotten much worse. And the city council just took up a change to our zoning laws so that faith-based institutions or neighborhood associations or business organizations could potentially operate alternative campsites that are well-managed on behalf of the people who are stuck living outside in the elements. Uh, so I, th I think while COVID has provided some horrific challenges, particularly for those who've lost loved ones or have been directly impacted by it, it's also created some opportunities for us to really rethink the way our community is shaped going forward. Everything from the built environment to how we help and support small businesses to the way we think about our transportation systems in this community, really everything has, has shifted as a result of this pandemic. Has population continues to, to shift outside of the Portland uh, downtown core and, and the surrounding core into Portland's east side and outer east side Portland neighborhoods? How should we understand post uh, downtown in this post COVID period? We've heard rumors perhaps that uh, downtown's days, best days are behind it. Is that true? How do you respond to those questions? No, that's a load of, uh, that's, that's, that's not true, Eric. I don't believe it. And as proof of that, I would point to the money. And the fact of the matter is we still have businesses making significant investments in this community. Apple has reopened their store. Pioneer Square has reopened. The city's responded very, very quickly to, to change uh, some of our code issues to help those businesses get back on their feet. Target just announced a new store. Even Gucci, uh, which is the highest end of high-end stores, has announced their opening in downtown Portland. We're starting to see the boards come down. We're starting to see more foot traffic and activity downtown. That's all a good thing. And I, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say all of our problems are behind us. They're clearly not. But the trend line uh, is going in the right direction. But it's, it's not all about downtown. Downtown gets a lot of the attention. Certainly the national press is focused on downtown. Uh, but the reality is a lot of Portlanders are employed by and live in and depend upon our neighborhoods and our neighborhood business districts. They've also been impacted both by the pandemic as well as some of the, the sporadic violence and destruction that we've seen in the community. They need help too. And so the city has responded in multiple ways through our CARES Act, through our Small Business Relief Fund, uh, through the efforts on my Economic Advisory Task Force, where we put equity and diversity front and center, uh, to the fact that the, of the first $2 million that went out the door to support our small businesses, 90% went to businesses owned and operated by people of color in our community. We, we have to take care of not just the downtown, but all of our neighborhoods. We are a city of neighborhoods. And if our neighborhood business districts and our town centers uh, and our 95 neighborhoods aren't successful and healthy, then it really doesn't matter whether or not we have a successful downtown core. Those things need to happen in lockstep.
let me ask you a, 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 to step back for a second. Um, can we get the city together for another large visionary plan? Uh, I think of the blood, the Bud Clark plan, uh, and someone in a question also mentioned the Bud Clark plan as a 30-year vision of Portland's physical landscape. Are we able at this moment to come together and to hold that kind of imagination? If we are, what do you think is essential for Portlanders to do in the next 30 to 90 days to help feed that kind of vision and support elected officials in uh, moving that type of vision forward? Yeah, so um, this is a subject of great discussion and great debate, not only in City Hall, but out in the community as well. And to be maybe a little too blunt about it, right now, I am Please. not focused solely on the long-term vision. I'm trying to move this community through the crisis, the global pandemic, the homeless crisis, the concerns that people justifiably have around their own safety and the safety of their families in this community, and the reality that we have a livability problem in a city that's historically been seen as one of the most livable cities on this planet. My job right here and now is to focus relentlessly on moving us through the crisis. Now, with regard to the long-term vision, that vision has never been owned and operated by any mayor. We've had some outstanding mayors, and, and Bud Clark is, is one of those great mayors that the city absolutely benefited from. But the visions never came from the mayors. The visions came from the community. And you know, the reason I want these five action groups to come together is to help us not only chart our way through the crisis today, but think about where do we want the community to be? And we've learned that a lot about what we thought Portland was going to be uh, is, is different. There are more people here. We have more uh, refugees, more immigrants, more people of color in our community. We're becoming a more diverse community. Equity, diversity, and inclusion is becoming far more important. We have massive income inequality that didn't exist even uh, several years ago. And that's having a real impact on people's ability to pay their basic expenses, pay for housing. It's certainly contributing to the homeless crisis we're seeing up and down the West Coast. And we're also seeing uh, more of a um, civic activism, a desire on the part of people to be intentionally engaged in the direction of the community. So I, I don't think that kind of top-down planning uh, is necessarily what the public wants right now. I think they want me to manage uh, the uh, condition of this city. They want me to manage through the crisis and they want to be more engaged and have a more iterative process in terms of what this community looks like going forward and be part of that change that they'd like to see in the community. And so I see my job as giving the public that platform and those ways to participate and actively engage in the development of their own city. I think all the things that were true about Portland are going to continue to be true in the years ahead. Uh, we like small scale, we're creative, we're innovative, uh, we're a very attractive place, particularly for young folks, uh, but we are also striving to be one of the most age-friendly communities in the United States. And we have a lot of people thinking about not only how do we attract young workers 
but also how do we support the people who are here, who are aging in place? How do we make this a resilient place to retire when people are in, in their, their older years? All of these things are gonna continue to be critically important going forward. Mayor Wheeler, as people begin to, to think about these things, if you could pick either livability or public safety, right, or uh, affordable housing, you know, uh, addressing houselessness uh, in Portland, Oregon, pick one of those categories and revisit one thing that Portlanders can look for in the next 90 days to know that that vision is moving forward. What's one thing you want them to be looking to? Well, I, I think the most important thing is that we are intentionally asking the community to work with us and participate. Um, look, government's not going to solve all of our problems for us, nor frankly do I think it should. We need, this, we need that civic discourse that Portland is so famous for and that direct inclusion of the public and the action tables are designed for us to get the public's direct engagement. Uh, whether it's public safety, whether it's livability, whether it's improving and restoring uh, the luster of our city's brand and reputation, we need the public. And you are going to see far more inclusion and activ activation of the public going forward. That's one thing that, that I think people will see, obviously. Uh, I would also ask people to start taking note of the fact that from a livability perspective, things are already beginning to change in the community. We're already making significant changes around public safety and responding to the gun violence that we've seen way too often, that has impacted way too many of our, our families in this community. Uh, and um, I, I think you'll you'll start to see those changes across the board. Now, whether that'll happen in 30 or 60 or 90 days, I can't say. The reality is it took us a long time to get to where we are today, and it's going to take time, it's going to take coordination, and it's gonna take money for us to get ourselves out of some of the pickles that we're currently in. And I'm committed to stick around to do that. As we begin to, to look at that importance of community engagement and uh, leadership, right? New leadership, younger leadership that is uh, beginning to move forward. We're starting to hear their voices, learning their names. Eventually, at some point, 10, 15, 20 years from now, there will be future mayors of Portland, Oregon. For those young folks who are listening right now, right, who may be wondering, what is it like to have the hardest job in America? What can you tell them about the importance of running for office, of thinking about being a future mayor of Portland, Oregon? Talk a little bit about the reasons you chose to run and reasons that they might think about running as well. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. For, for me, Eric, it was a long path. There wasn't a moment where I said, oh, I really want to be the mayor of Portland, Oregon. I actually got into public service through volunteerism. I started as a very young man. I had volunteered uh, in the homeless community. I was a volunteer overnight shelter host at the Goose Hollow Family Shelter for a number of years. That put me in contact with the lived experience of people uh, who had experiences I'd never experienced. And 
uh, I saw the trauma that they and their families were experiencing. And uh, I, at the time, was, was a local businessman. And I, I honestly felt tugged towards working towards those thornier solutions about how do we improve our society? Uh, it, it's difficult work, but um, I'm really privileged. I, I feel honored to be able to hold this role. I go to bed at night, sometimes I'm exhausted, but I go to bed feeling like I actually did make a positive difference in the community. And that's what drives me. I, I have a stake in the future of this community as all of us do. Uh, I feel compelled to put my time and my talent and my energy into this effort. The thing I love about it the most is I get to work with some really great people. I, I you know, Just this morning, I, I went to the the groundbreaking for the Las Adelitas um, uh, affordable housing uh, project in the Cully neighborhood. And just the energy and the enthusiasm and the, the optimism about the future of the community and the way it was going to help so many people who have frankly been shut out of all kinds of help over the course of their entire lives, to see a tangible outcome is really, really exciting. And it's, you know, it's gratifying to see a community that can come together. So if, if a young person was saying, what do I need to do? I'd say first, give a damn, uh, care about the community and be really passionate about it because you're gonna get tested every single day and you have to be empathetic and you have to understand the needs of the community, but you also know, need to know when to shut up and listen. And uh, that's been a lifelong uh, uh, evolution for me is knowing when I don't have the answers and when the public, the community does, and to listen to and leverage that vision and that energy from the community. And that's when really incredible things happen. And I love it as, as a result. Uh, I would tell people get engaged right now in the community. Go go out and find whatever the cause is that's important to you. Um, you're never too young, in my opinion. And you know, my my daughter is 14, and she she loves going out and doing beach cleanups and things like that. Find find what your passion is, and then just put your shoulder to the wheel with everybody else and be part of the community. That's what it's all about. Today feels like a, a new day for Portland, Oregon. It, it has been uh, challenging, not just the last four years, but um, we've had challenges over the decades. But it does feel that there's a moment here where we can evolve Portland to a place where everyone can live, love, worship, and work uh, free from fear. Mayor Wheeler, tell us again, where can we get involved if we as citizens are looking to play a role and to have a voice in the shaping of the future of Portland? So um, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to pitch my URL again. Um, and, and this is actually, we've put a lot of time and energy into thinking about how best people can engage. If you wanted to directly engage, www.portland.gov slash Wheeler slash newsletter. We would love to have you participate in our action committees. Help us shape the work that we are doing right now and the work that we will do in the future. That's one opportunity. Another way I encourage people to get involved, Portland has so many fantastic community organizations, nonprofits, neighborhood associations, faith groups, 
there are so many ways that you can on-ramp on virtually any issue that's of importance to you, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it is a social justice cause, uh, whether it's something related specifically to city government or county government or state government. There's lots of ways to onboard. Uh, years ago, I was part of the Volunteerism Commission at the state level. I was really interested in how could we uh, improve volunteer activities across the state. And I, I signed up and lo and behold, they wanted me to be on their committee. And that, that was both fun and engaging and I thought important work. Um, so I would just encourage people, if you can participate, do so. I also want to acknowledge there are many, many people in our community do, who don't have a lot of time. They're holding down two or three jobs to support uh, themselves and their families. And the way that, that you can help is by doing what you do. Uh, continue to, to do the good work you do to, to support yourself and your household and, and your neighbors and, and have each other's back and look out for each other. Uh, that's sort of what a community is at its core. Keep doing that. Thank you. And I know it's all the time we have today, but I wanted to thank you, Mayor Wheeler, for joining me in conversation. I want to thank, uh, give thanks again to uh, Bobby Reagan for bringing us together and to the City Club of Portland for hosting us. Have a wonderful afternoon, everyone. Eric, before you sign off, uh, we know that there were a lot of questions people didn't get to. We will reach out, my staff will reach out to the City Club, we'll get your questions and we will respond. Thank you for, for hosting me today.